in, in mindfulness of the body, we can um, <coughs> use the t- sense of touch, tactile consciousness. Uh, and then recognizing the particular um, effects this has. <coughs> not so sharply defined as, as a visual it's not, so, it's not out there something where there's more immediately a, a tone, a resonance uh, a responsive quality to that, being touched or touching something because uh, whenever we touch something we are touched so it comes like that when you see something it doesn't mean you're seen but when you, t- when you touch something, you are touched at the, at the same time. It's, so there's that um, way in which this uh, sense of self mm. is set resonating. And it's why it's both um, very penetrative for meditation, because it really recognizes the, the dullness or the uh, you know the, the, the irritability uh, around that, around touch, around things touching us. The affectability, our affect and response systems, which are closely associated with our emotional and perceptual systems, and these are the course areas where we create and get caught in a lot of suffering. Emotional systems and perceptual systems. The uh, perceptual is the way things, what things mean to me, how th- what things stand for, the general sense of something. <coughs> so this is like um, almost the way that the when the when something touches the mind, you get a perception, and it's not uh, a detail or rational thing. It's the immediate take on something, as something is known, is known as, that's called sanya, or perception. Perception may not be the best word for it. <coughs> the general first sense or take on, on an experience, whether it's safe or not, whether it's enjoyable or not, whether it's... Um, <coughs> what it signifies to us, what it reminds us of. And the emotional qualities are triggered off, are, are, are conjoined with that particular sanya, something means something, and there's a feeling with that, pleasant feeling, painful feeling, whatever, and then there's a, there's a, those two trigger off the sankara, which is the, the activity of the emotion. We get going, something gets us going and then there's this kind of charge emotional charge that runs through the through the mind things start moving and it can get very fast it can go from a panic of a lot of ideas and memories and images and moods come up in this in this charge the emotional charge so this is a sanya sankara vedana mixed together 
And when they get going, you get this experience called papancha. So, uh, the, the overcharge of emotionality is described as uh, papancha sanya sankar, is a proliferating or multiplying, diversifying meanings and perceptions and values uh, rapidly moving. So when you get an emotional sense, it, it, it's this fast breeding and proliferating charge to it. <coughs> the, the asks for action. Often the action is just is verbal action. Uh, the body flushes or is, is charged in some way. And then uh, if that action is carried out or, or in response to that, the sense of a discharge, uh, you know, you've said your bit or you've done what you need to felt moved to do, you get a discharge and things subside again. Now the um, this experience is, is the mind or the chitta being being touched. Mm. So it may may not be this physical contact or touch that sets this off, although um, that provides the basic model of how chitta operates. Jitta can be triggered off not just by touch, of course, but by sight or sound or words, thoughts, odors, and so forth. Any of the sense phases can trigger it. But basically, the way it operates is is on a is in a touch mechanism. Jitta doesn't see things. It doesn't form image. It vibrates. <coughs> It's characteristic is it trembles, it pulses, mm. or moves. So when we understand touch, the, the external physical touch, we can understand perhaps more clearly, more fully, the way that the chitta operates in that sense. So chitta is that which we, are, we feel when I say your words really touched me, I felt moved, I felt stirred. These are all quite obviously tactile metaphors. Um, And (coughs) it's interesting to notice that the way this uh, language helps, you know, gives us an idea of really what happens. The, The three neurolingual pathways are Tactile or kinesthetic, which is to do with mo- movement and motion, um, the visual and the auditory. That means that when something, when when you you get some kind of nervous signal, it's translated into primarily, um, I see that, I see what you mean, mm. or that really touched me. Yeah, I moved it. Yeah. or need to be listened to. You use those different language paths to describe a particular quality of mind that we're, we're, talk, we're looking for or talking about. 
see what you mean. It's, it's a fairly objective. Um, I've got the facts. Mm-hmm. Need to be listened to means a sense of really open and um, spacious attention, um, taking in the tonality of one's one's, one's speech. So you say, you know, if a builder's talking to another builder, he doesn't say, he's giving his details of his construction work, he doesn't say, I need to be listened to. <laughs> when you say, I need to be listened to, you're talking about moods and feelings. You know, the tonality is what you're trying to pick up. And then you feel touched by something, it's a sign that you actually have not just heard, but really been affected by what's going on. So you know, you say that. So you got visual, auditory, and uh, tactile, kinesthetic, um, neural channels. <coughs> so when we when we we meditate, it's, uh, you know what what do we what do we use? We can say we're watching the mind, watching the breath looking into our thoughts. Mm. And that for many that has a certain sense of objectivity to it. You know, just to see clearly and coolly what's happening. But uh, it, it's it's a mantra it means there's a good de- deal of of crisp or clarity or attention being at least ascribed to. Whether you actually do that or not is another thing, but at least we're, that's what we're trying to do. We get a fairly sharp-edged um, focus is placed on things, which has its benefits. And its shortcomings are that sometimes we don't really get the meaning or get the tonality right. You know, you're watching your mind, but you're not actually really listening to what's, what it's saying and getting some sense of empathy or response. So when when this when this watch your mind watching the mind becomes a slogan, you know, why don't you watch your mind? Um, <laughs> it, it it's a sign of, of complete absence of empathy. <laughs> you know? uh, it, empathy is not being brought into the picture at all. It's just uh, you know, sit back and and, be, and and see it and don't relate to it. It's basically what's being asked for. Just let it let it pass. Mm. Yeah, and well, it may be it may be a good thing to do. Or, but uh, also, uh, we realise that when we're doing when we're trying to contemplate or or liberate our own uh, awareness. From delusion and hindrances and so forth, that watching alone is not really enough. We can get rather <coughs> hypnotized by it <coughs> and recognizing, well, you don't need just to watch this, you need to have some sort of response here. Like, I need to learn to, um, to really feel out of you know, what's, what's moving me here, you know, uh, what's the priority here. I need to perhaps also to be a little more empathetic with it, like just being more patient, 
or, or developing loving kindness or things of this nature, some sort of sense of, of responsiveness. And then things like listening and being touched or touching the mind, touching the heart, are also are, have their value, valuable metaphors for meditation. In fact, these are all purely metaphors. Um, but to, to learn the whole of the, you know, those three pathways so that one's fully endowed with the, the values of all of them to be able to see things clearly means, you know, don't, don't get too caught up in all this. Uh, just get some perspective on it. And to be touched, to listen in means to go deeply into the tonal quality of it. To be touched and to touch it means one's willing to participate and um, and really empathise with a thing. Touching into one's one's frustration or touching into one's anger or one's one's pain rather than, you know, standing back from it has its um, blessings and uses. Sometimes, in fact, (coughs) all all we need to do is just to touch it rather than to be defending ourselves from it, trying to push it away, uh, trying to understand it, solve it, get rid of it. Uh, and it, it can be that effect on certain emotional states can be, um, can actually worsen the whole intensity of the problem. The problem was uh, one really wasn't um, allowing the feelings to be fully manifested. So we use something like watching it as a way of half letting it be there, but basically with the firm intention that it not be there and go away. Or it's not, um, we can look down upon things. Again, another way in which the language does give us an idea of, of what that particular modality of consciousness does. Distance, and distance can produce a certain sense of uh, glazed or um, disdainful um, um, scrutiny. <coughs> Of course, with uh, being touched, is the, the, the difficulty is one can get so stirred and aroused and involved that uh, we, we never really, um, you know, uh, get the clarity that's required. Mm. To it's no a phenomenon is a phenomenon because in the in that tonality. The the, uh, the mood is this is me. You know I am moved. I am involved. This is me, and therefore um, the ability to be objective and clear about it can be uh, severely diminished. One doesn't get the perspective on tonality. Again, as the language says, perspective is a visual thing. You don't get perspective on tone. You feel it. So, trying to bring all these together, can one touch, you know, feel the tonality, but then, if you like, have knowing, uh, having ascertained that, uh, get some objectivity about it. So it's this. This is the painfulness. This is the uh, urging, urging. This is the can't do. This is the straining. 
just like this. So that quality is that's uh, that's the quality of the attention faculty, mano manas. Mm-hmm. Manas is uh, what mindfulness is about, and an attention manasikara is a primarily um, manas activities, attention activities. They're just to hold something and say, that's that's that, it's that. You know, citta deals with the subjective, tonal uh, realities of something, how I'm moved and affected. And when we practice satipatthana, we try to bring them together. You know, knowing, you know, this is the mind affected by passion, affected by um, whatever it's affected by. Mm-hmm. So we're certainly getting the, the effect feeling is the effect, uh, so that there's willingness to experience the effect and what it really feels like, and the heat or the pounding or the surging of that, and then, but it's that, it's what it, you know, it's not, the, rather than it's myself. And the, uh, beauty of the two together is that one is dealing or very much entering into the dynamic of one's calm at the particular moment in that you know in the involvement of it and the and the um, openness of that and yet one is also curtailing the karma fresh karma by curtailing that activity which makes more of it See? I shouldn't feel this way, I should feel another way, this is wrong, I should be like this, I should be like that. Actually curtailing that by the act of attention. Whereas if we don't attend wisely, then what occurs is one is feeling that that particular, one is sensing that particular effect, a passion of one kind or another, and then there's the swinging to and fro between enjoying it and, and feeling awkward about it, to being averse to it, to feeling guilty about it, to and all the this papancha sanya sankar goes on. Why am I like this? I shouldn't, I should, I should be. Why do they do this to me? This isn't that you know, all that kind of thing. Just so you get this tremendous <coughs> typhoon of um of jitter effects cascading and, and one never really finds a way to to um Bring, a, bring them to a place of completion where they've said what they say and mm-hmm, we know that and we've been able to contemplate the meaning of that and it can be put aside, it can be finished with. So cessation comes from the sense of the uh, completion. And completion... Mm, you know, the process of viveka settling back, viraga dispassion, which is attention, isn't it? Mm. And then that means that the there's the sense of um, niroda, stillness that can come around from that. And then the vasaga, which is the relinquishment of those those 
seed tendencies that create the disturbances. And the self-view that... uh, um, encourages and nurtures them. I am this. I should be. What can I be? And these um, seed impulses are also uh, things that one can very easily discern through through the tactile sense. The touch of the mind, the tonality of one's attention. So as we all, it's quite easy to recognize once we put aside the particular script that is coming up, the particular verbal pattern, we can go to uh, there is a state of contraction here. The, the, te- the tonality is contracted, it's tight, it's defensive, it's, it's clenched, it's, it's tense. Mm-hmm. So it can be like that. And therefore, in that, in that lock, in that tenseness, there's a sense of I am eternally. You know, it's a kind of an eternalist thing. And the other sense is when uh, um, it's not exactly, it's not contracted, but it's trying to contract. This is a reaching out, grasping tendency, which we can recognize the kind of restless, thrashing around, trying to find something to to grip and contract around, trying to substantiate. So it's uh, forms of desire, um, doubt, trying to think something, understand something, figure something, restlessness, worry, all these are there, trying to find something. So it's like the, the reaching out, trying to substantiate, trying to contract. Mm. So we can recognize these, these particular um, senses in their tonal, tactile manifestation. And in that way it becomes a lot simpler to, to deal with. The contracted state is something to be massaged, you know, felt, softened, breathed through, sp- given space, the, 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 as if we're opening the fibers of the mind. Doing this in the physical body, so there'll be a physical counterpart or physiological counterpart to the mental or emotional state. Tightness in the belly, constriction in the throat, pressure in the shoulders, tension in the fingers, tightening in the forehead, in the in the temples, the lips, so forth. You know, it's kind of gripping when we start to get locked. And then can we, you know, if we rather than so, can we deal with that in a physical level? Because um, the quality of these very primary seed uh, hindrances, the seeds of the hindrances, are that they're very magnetic, and and so if you go into them in the 
you know, in their purely mental sense, they're li- they, they, they easily capture attention. Mm. Or they usually capture the chitta. You see what I mean? You know, one can't be relaxed about a tense state, otherwise one wouldn't be tense in the first place. So it's not, it's not something you can necessarily do purely with the chitta, like you may you bring an aspiring uh, jitta tonality towards a, um, an afflicted one, and these tonalities, one of them is going to take over. Now, what you hope for is that the aspiring tonality will take over the afflicted tonality, and you'll you shift it into something aspiring. And that may be the case, you know, if it's just a little feeble little affliction and a very strong uh, aspiration. Well, good chance is that the aspiration's well intentioned, but the, the tonality is really mega. The affliction has kind of been there for, you know, 20, 30 years or so, and some little aspiration comes along and poof! <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't stand a chance. So that the tonality, the afflicted tonality, takes over the, the aspiring one. The, the, you know, you send in your best troops and they get wiped out. You know the healers come down with the same with the disease. Say, oh dear, even worse. So you can't always reckon that just going into the thing, (coughs) it's going to work. (coughs) Well, then we can just kind of look at it from a point of view of attention. Okay, it's like this right now, Um, and. you know, some, some afflictions are immune to that too. They just sit there looking back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh huh. So you look at me, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they often have got the power to outstare one's attention. <laughs> so, and you get, you get this sort of glazed impression. Of, and trying to feel it, and trying to feel it in the as it affects the body is quite useful because then you you can use a a tonal, you know, a tactile and a tonal reference, and you start to loosen up if it's tight, loosen up the bodily sense, so the joints of the body, where you where, which immediately start to restrict once you get tense, it can be the joints in the face, like the jaw, for example or uh, the fingers, or the way the arms connect to the body, or the arms themselves, joints between the arms. Certain uh, visceral things tighten up. Mm. We find the breathing is more constricted. Throat passage becomes uh, tighter, more blocked. So we may find particular places in the body surveying these areas. Well, I I could actually, you know, there's a bit of space near here, you know, this is, feels fairly tight, there's a little bit of space near here, I can move my attention, my awareness from that open space to the tight space and just breathe through it. I can, so that, then we're not dealing with, uh, you know, the, the really potent core of, uh, of, the, of the problem, which is in the mind, but we are taking away the way it fastens into the body. And this has the effect of 
uh, very useful effect of loosening up the edges around that. And when the when the mental affliction can't bind, can't use bodily energy, it starts to lose some of its anchorage. And then one can one can attend to it. You know, uh-huh. it's like this. You know, it feels like you can feel it shift. So trying to, you know, recognize the way that irritation or anxiety affects the body and letting that mood be there and then just softening the body. Because it's not that we even necessarily condemn these irritations or anxieties, but they're afflictive qualities. So they can be useful triggers trying to tell us something. Yeah. You know, there is something here that's that's um, bothering me, you know, or, but I need to be able to get clear enough to review it rather than just be caught in some stuck state with it all. There is something here to have concern over, but I need to be get free of it enough to be able to be, you know, agile and compassionate rather than just fraught and fretful. Mm. So it's it's the binding, or called clinging, upadana, that is really the problem, and this we can undo in in a using the bodily sense. <coughs> so naturally, that that requires both manas and chitta, doesn't it? The ability to feel something out, and then not just not just get involved with it on an emotional, personal way, which will tend to pull one into the subjectivity and the mood of it, but say, bringing, using attention and scan the body. Okay, now it's like, yeah, this seems a bit tight here. Try relaxing. Mm-hmm. So then, using these two uh, aspects of mental activity, manas and jitta, Notice, if, for example, if you, when you're working with walking or standing or sitting meditation, that any bodily tension will tend to bring up mental uh, tension. Mm. Yeah, so if, you, if you're too rigid and you're sitting, you get certain contracted attitudes, forcefulness, willfulness, or stuckness, or dullness. So, being able to get one's body feeling agile or, or, or relaxed in the sitting or in the walking or the standing. This is itself takes years, really, before you're not kind of holding yourself stiff. So, to be able to, even when you, when you sit, to be able to open your eyes. You know, flex a little bit, check out, relax your arms, breathe in and out, adjust your posture. This is all completely okay and advisable. You're not you know, expected to, when you sit, to just you know, click and then one hour later, bing, and then you haven't 
twitched in between time. <laughs> it's really all right to sort of soften, move, bend a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, some people are very assiduous at moving their heads around when they sit. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also okay to you to, to soften the rest of the body, not just the neck. <laughs> also notice, see, the, the reaching out uh, aspects of the mind, um, which can be that thinking is like that sometimes. It's not just um, you know, a sensual desire, but it's a thinking mind. Oh no, I think I'll figure out how to Figure something out, you get it kind of straining like a dog on a leash trying to understand something, or like a little terrier. Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? Is it here? Is it there? I don't know. Why is it? Should be first? I should be this. I should stop thinking about it. That's what I should be doing. It's like a little little terrier on a rat chewing away, trying to find something to sink its teeth into. Um, And so, that particularly with the thinking mind, you have to go to the don't know mind. It's like the, the terrier with the with a loose jaw, you know, can't hold a rat. You know, yeah, you know. That's what should be doing it. I don't know. It's being able to go to the don't know mind. And stupider and stupider to loosen up that particular uh, function. You know, so it is uh, again something to do with working on the tonality. These. Uh, or you get the wild, surging, craving, kind of passionate reaching out. <coughs> Strong passion, sexual desire, so on, like a hound on a leash. Uh, it's being able to, to uh, develop the patience in the mind, mm-hmm. just to kind of how to to hold, how to turn that seeking attention into into the body, into what it, what the what the very tonality of the body feels like. You know, the the, the, confused, the worried body, you know, the worry in the mind, or the craving, or the lust, in the, as as a as bodily experiences. You feel it is a lot of this stuff is purely. You know, physiological, some of it's just kind of hormonal things that happen. And we take it all very much as as mine, it becomes mine, it's myself. So calming, again, is like um, something where you have to attend and then just deliberately continually stroke something with with a cool, pacifying touch. There, 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 like 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 that, in the as in the in the, on the chitta. Stroking it, calming it, holding it when it's hungry and desperate, cradling it when it's screaming and wailing. Steering it. And there's really getting getting a hands-on feeling for the, the chitta. Comes through working with tactile sense. 
You can also come to moments, times, when the, the things quieten down. From the so one of the ways that are conducive to that, you have again using these three um, references: visual, auditory, tactile. Visual sense of space. You look, you look into something that's blank. Looking at a, a large opening your attention up, something that's large and blank. And looking at it, there's no particular detail in it. The visual space. Um, Within that, you probably begin to see all kinds of things that aren't there, as you're imagining um, images and so forth. But you can you can sustain that particular uh, uh, meditation just on empty space or a blank wall or something like that. Until there is, if you like, a, 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 like an emetic effect, whereby the images of the mind begin to just uh, wear out, and you, you get the sense of seeing the space. And at that point, when it, when there is a sense of visual space, complete open visual space, it is as if one is being seen. So the, the duality uh, of the seer and the seeing. Uh, uh, stops. It's a common practice that, of course, um, Paul Semedo uses is the sound, sound of silence, listening to listening to silence, uh, which is um, perhaps easier than seeing seeing space. Partly because uh, the, the auditory again tends to connect more to the chitta. So in, in hearing silence, one's chitta actually is is calmed or is made open quite readily. And within the sound of silence, you hear little kind of micro sounds or raw hisses and roars and trembles and things going on, and you keep listening into that. And um, uh, Similar effect occurs. It's the listener and the listen begin to blend together. The tactile sense, which um, is actually in some ways much more readily um, readily leads to a non-dualist experience, partly because touch immediately, you know, the touched and the toucher immediately are already kind of uh, uh, synonymous in any normal act of, of tactile consciousness. You know, the, the, the toucher and the touched. You touch a hot pan, it's not just the pan that's hot, it's me that's hot, burning. You know? So that it's an immediate uh, conascence of the subject and the object. So when one, one touches the touchless, 
or the, the, the empty touch, there is very immediately this sense of an inner emptiness. There's not many, you don't have a storehouse of images like you have with the eye, which, which would create hallucinations for, quite a, for hours. Um, you don't have the same sense of emotional resonance as you have with the ear, which tends to create also um, subtle sound. When you come to the touching the touchless, the touch of touchlessness, <laughs> then quite immediately you get the sense of open. So, you know, if, if the ground state of the visual consciousness is space, in which images arise on that, and the ground aspect of the auditory consciousness is silence, in which sound arises, the ground of the tactile consciousness is openness. Just what it feels like to have your hand open with nothing in it. Mm. Something like that. You know, extremely sensitive, tactile thing like, like the hand and the fingers. It feels like if you're moment, it feels cool, perhaps. As you linger with that, you get the sense of this the tingling of that tactile con- of that tactile organ. And you begin to feel along with that the quality of everything opening up to receive. There's nothing to receive. So it's like an openness. But the, um, what goes along with that, even though its sign is empty, is this empathetic. So it's not a, a ground state that re- rejects or, or seals off. Uh, its quality is empathetic because it actually is open to touch, to being touched. And yet also the sense of openness itself is extremely satisfying. In a way, it's, it's kind of one of the things that most of us would feel we most appreciate. We don't like constriction. We don't like pressure. These are, there's no... There's, there's no positive connotations to these at all. We don't like tightness, we don't like pressure, we don't like weight, we don't like things leaning on us. What we all like is some quality of there's room here for me. There's openness. That's immediately something that our hearts are tuned to and feel happy about. Mm. Now actually, this is available all the time for us. <clears throat> you know, my, my mind say it's the ground, ground state of chitta. Chitta has to have as openness as its ground state in order to receive anything. 
Prabhupada would say, the knower, being the knowing, or like the third tetrad of Anapanasati deals very much with just accessing that openness, thoroughly sensitive to, to chitta, not to the chitta effects, not to the sankharas of the chitta, the, the vibrations of it, but just to the quality of that which senses, open sense. Mm. And that's always there, rather like the sound of silence or the space in between things. It's actually immensely satisfying and immensely um, comforting to recognize that whatever happens, actually there's always that openness that has received it. However occluded or pressurized we may describe ourselves as being, there's always the openness that receives that, that we don't necessarily know how to focus on. But just consider how, you know, in in one day one can feel in the morning like totally overwhelmed and dense and congested and by the evening kind of, oh, what's all that about? How how illusory the density and pressure really is. Sometimes just in one conversation, in five minutes, you can go from feeling totally wound up and tight as a as a as a fist into feeling open and friendly and happy. How did that happen? Where did it all go? Something touched us. We were touched. And through that being touched, there was a release. And we came back to this you know, open ground. Original mind, or original nature, uh, and so on. Well, it's a tonal reference, it's not actually an entity at all. Something we, as meditators, we probably are keen for and eager about. And the openness allows us to be agile, to be empathetic, to pick something up, take it fully and let it go. We don't have to stand back from things. We can be open, available, accessible, and yet not um, occupied. How much of the time are we preoccupied? We crave to be preoccupied with agendas and structures and futures and nostalgia. We're preoccupied with the past and what happened, what didn't happen, and the future, what might happen, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to be like. Or our agendas in the present, what I need to have and can't have and don't want and do want. We come in saturated with all this stuff. And imagine somehow this is going to get us to, we're going to get to openness through, through filling ourselves up with, with you know, what we're going to be and have and do and so forth. 
You know, really, it's available every moment. If we could just kick a habit of longing to be saturated. Yeah. And it's a primary uh, function of ignorance, that, that longing to be saturated, to be occupied. And it comes from n- not really knowing or having access to the beauty of openness, to the um, protective quality of openness. Yes, we're touched. Yes, we're affected. Yes, we're hurt. And yet, it doesn't matter. It passes. It hasn't actually destroyed anything. And as we, in the face of our conflicts and difficulties, if we're able to maintain that openness, that openness is is continually made more potent and strengthened by the struggles and the pangs that we're open to. This takes dedication, commitment, patience, resolution. This isn't just a technique, is it? It's a real you know, tone of mind, tone of heart. It's not steel, but it is, it is the willing to, to bear with. And it takes us to that open ground because eventually, of course, we have to, all of us have to recognize there's nothing you can do, actually. You know, pain, death, sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair. Mm-hmm. It's not mine, it's yours. If it's not here, it's there. We're in a sangsara that's riddled with it. Trying to protect yourself from it just makes you more defensive and edgy or callous. Trying to find an answer to it just makes you restless and frantic. <laughs> and yet this original ground is, is strengthened and made compassionate through, through opening to the suffering. Uh, mine, yours, its, theirs, his, hers, near, far. If we begin to have an insight into this, and the Buddha said to, to really have insight into the Four Noble Truths, you know, to, to, to see what it can do, what suffering can do for us, if we have resources to take it there, how it can enlarge and potentize our lives. He said, this is worth, this is an inestimable value. This is worth suffering a whole lifetime for just to get one glimpse of. <clears throat> so you know, someone when when the mind is in, uh, in you know, saturated with ignorance, of course, this is something that we fear and dread. And because of that, we block the opportunity to come back to that open ground 
that's our base of, of consciousness. So when we practice meditation, we've got a chance to to contact that openness through in a place that's perhaps less <coughs> demanding for us, less um, psychologically, less egotistically challenging, just to contact the openness of the touch sensation. When you walk along, you know, so that you're walking with the feet. You get that particular sensations. Then the spaces between that. Then what's happening, say around your chest, or your face, coolness, the back, shoulders, you know, twinge maybe. But apart from the particular sensations, also just the whole quality of like having your whole body, like your whole body, listening walking with the whole body. And you feel that most of it is actually just uh, open, open ground. Not occupied. (coughs) Subtle washes of sensation, perhaps. Subtle flows of energy. And yet, you know, the subtler it gets, the more one is able to recognize the openness behind that or within that. Standing and sitting. With all of these, as those basic seed hindrances are going to still occur. There's the champing at the bit to get something, get something going, to you know, really get to grips with something. And just feel that out. See what's happening in your body. Relax that. And then you'll, you'll see what you have to get. You'll, you'll know what you have to get to grips with. It will come up. Mm. Often it's just the doubt or the worry. Trying to find something to think, do, have, be, have an attitude about. Mm. Or the shut off state, which we feel which we can get into sitting. Trying to stop feeling things. Your will. Subtle forms of your will, like boredom, um, distractedness. Feeling into the body is always a, a very good remedy because the body doesn't have these, these deceptive veils. 
of uh, the mind has. <clears throat> 